Welcome to the manor. Welcome back to the Twin Terrors Macabre Manor of Mead, Metal, and Mayhem. I'm Jody. And I'm James. <laughs> We're having too much fun. <laughs> All right. Um, I guess this is going to be kind of a special Halloween episode. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we weren't really planning on doing all these episodes for October. <laughs> and then uh, said, yeah. screw it. Yeah. Well, uh, okay. So what happened? <laughs> I, I told, I pointed something out to James and actually what made me think of it was I saw an article online. I still haven't, I printed it out. I still haven't read it about uh, artificial intelligence. It was making reference to Mary Shelley Frankenstein and pointed out that Mary Shelley Frankenstein was released, pu- first published anonymously in 1818. So this year is the 200th anniversary of the publication of Frankenstein. Uh, When I realized that, I realized there was some other stuff that 2018 was an anniversary year for. So we're, we're going to try and try and get some stuff out there because it's anniversary year. Yeah. Yeah. Jody Uh, texted me some of that and I'm like, yeah, we should do that. Well, no, what I said was, yeah, you, you should do that and I'll (laughs) jump in on a few things and, <laughs> I think we decided we may do three or four sort of tiny episodes for Halloween week. Yeah, because it is the best holiday. Yes, yes, it is. A little little bit of background here. Frankenstein uh, was was written by Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley, um, the daughter of William Godwin, who was a political political philosopher. Um, do you know what his uh, political leaning was? I'm going to say he was a Tory. He was an anarchist. I was I was off. <laughs> That's... Her mother was Mary Wollstonecraft, uh, who was also a philosopher and a feminist. And Mary Shelley was uh, she was twenty years old when Frankenstein was published. She came up with the story two years earlier in, in eighteen sixteen. We took a little trip. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's a good song though. Uh, well, she was eighteen years old. It was during the uh, what they refer to as the year without a summer, when global temperatures actually dropped, believed to be caused by the 1815 eruption of Mount Tambora in the Dutch East Indies, which is now uh, Indonesia. They were in Switzerland, uh, her and fiancé, later husband. I'm waiting. And waiting. Percy? Are you trying to wait, and wait for me to say Percy? It's Percy! Look! Yes. Look at... Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's Percy. <laughs> Percy. Now, I've always been, uh, even though I I learned about him in college, is it Bish? Bish? Percy Bish Shelley? I heard Bish, but I, okay. you know, again, we, we went to college in the <laughs> United States, and I'm not entirely sure I would trust our professors <laughs> to have gotten that right either. Uh, anyway. Yeah, yeah, go Sycamores. Anyway, uh, Mary and Percy went to visit their friend, Lord Byron, uh, who was staying in Lake Geneva, Switzerland. Who, uh, by the way, both yes. of them, well, our three, I suppose, are huge figures in romanticism and that yes. genre of writing that was popping out at the time. Yes. Um, I've actually got some stuff I'm going to mention about romanticism ha, a beat little you. bit later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I have, though. Oh, Okay. Also there, I mean, there were several other people there, but also of note, Lord Byron's personal doctor, John Polidori. So because the weather really sucked and they weren't able to go outside and, you know, do things that people in the romance, romantic movement did, like have picnics and 
walk around in nature. Uh, <laughs> um, they, they wound up staying inside a lot. They uh, were reading stories out of, and I think they were, well, one, they were making up their own stories, but they were also reading stories out of a collection of ghost stories, a, a French collection called Phantasmagoriana. Uh, they decided to come up with some original uh, stories to tell each other. Um, and I think maybe you said you might have something a little bit to embellish on this, but after having a dream, Mary Shelley came up with the basis of the, the story for Frankenstein. Uh, not, not really much more to add, just that they supposedly the three of them, Mary and Percy and Lord Byron. <laughs> she walks in beauty. Yeah, we have him to thank for that. <laughs> uh, we're going to have a bet to see who could come up with the best horror story. And then she had the dream. Yeah. I, the dream, uh, if I remember right, the dream was something about uh, reanimating a corpse. But they had been talking about stuff like electricity and galvanism and uh, some of the scientific discoveries that had been happening at that time. Some people had experimented with reanimating dead tissue with electricity, so on and so forth. And that, I think, kind of played into the dream that she had, which served as the basis for her story. But um, there, there has been some speculation that she, has, uh, she had two children die quite young, and, and one of them at least before uh, she started working on Frankenstein. And, and uh, there, there was some speculation that there was some desire to bring the dead child back to life that had kind of played into this whole thing of bringing the dead back to life. And so did, I don't, go ahead. <laughs> so at the time there were actually many people doing this. Uh, mm -hmm. If you read the book, how the Scots invented the modern world, you'll see oh, yeah. a few little bits and pieces about how that was just interesting and how medical doctors, so they, these weren't strange doctors up in weird castles doing this, but medical doctors working on electricity to see if they could help cure things or reanimate or bring people back from the dead. Although uh, there, there are stories that there was a weird person up in a <laughs> well, old castle that was doing these kinds of experiments. I'm not saying there weren't people that were weird doing it, but yeah. it was also normal too. I, I don't know because from what I remember, I don't really think there was there's any way to verify that this guy was actually doing these experiments that supposedly were exactly what she described. But um, anyway, uh, the, the book Frankenstein is considered uh, one of, if not the first science fiction novel, although there are some who might say the second century text, a true story uh, written by a Roman author named Lucian is technically the first science fiction novel, or at least the first science fiction story, because even in the second century AD, he was talking about going to a different world and encountering alien beings from that world. Well, I know nothing of this. I'm going to have to look that up. I, I know nothing of it either. And I, as I was doing a little bit of research on Frankenstein, I came across that and I went, oh, that's interesting. I'm However, even though I don't think it's the first gothic novel, I think Frankenstein is also considered the first gothic horror novel. And it is considered a romance novel. That is romanticism from the romantic <laughs> movement, not modern romance novels. I, don't and, know. And I can picture a modern romance novel. You got Frankie on the cover with a shirt half unbuttoned and his bolts flying in the wind on the back of a horse. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, <laughs> uh, moving on. Um, well, I know actually, because this is where I was going to talk a little bit about the romance movement. The romance movement dealt a lot with the emotional. And that's where I think the horror comes into it because it, it evokes the, 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 the horror and the terror the way that most romance novels or 
poetry were meant to evoke other emotions. And it doesn't hurt that, you know, her, her eventual husband and her, her friend, <laughs> Shelley and Byron, were romance writers. And nature was also another motif that was a lot, used a lot in, in the romance stuff. Kind of mentioned that here in a minute, too. It's, it's a frame narrative. The, the frame story is, and, and if you could have seen me, I just actually drew out a frame with my fingers <laughs> as I said that. Um, the, the, the frame narrative is a uh, Captain Walton who is on a, an Arctic a, a ship on an ar- Arctic ep- expedition. They, they find a half-dead Victor Frankenstein, the doctor. Victor, within the frame of being on the ship with Captain Walton, he tells his story and the creature's story as the creature relates it to Victor Walton's ending for the story. And, and Walton's part of the story um, is in the, in the form of a a letter that he is writing to his sister. So there's your frame for the narrative. And damn it, I just did that. I was going to (laughs) ask. To me, the main motif is man playing God and his actions being an affront to nature. So there's that, that reference back to nature as a romance motif. But I think somebody said it's the ultimate, it's the ultimate teenager book. Not, you know, like a what, what, whatever teen fiction they call now. I don't remember. Young adult. <laughs> Young adult, yeah. Not necessarily like that, but, you know, because the creature doesn't, he doesn't fit in. And that's part of the creature's thing is that he doesn't fit in. He, he doesn't know where he fits in in creation. And um, that's part of what drives him. So there's this little bit of empathizing with the creature because a lot of times teenagers don't know how they fit into everything. There's also some social, philosophical, and psychological aspects to the story, which if you really want to know what those are, I suggest you read the book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There have been several film adaptations, uh, most noteworthy. Uh, The first one was in 1910. It was made by Edison Studios. Probably the most noteworthy is the 1931 Universal Studios film directed by James Whale and starring uh, Boris Karloff as the creature, followed in 1935 by The Bride of Frankenstein, again directed by James Whale and starring uh, Boris Karloff as the creature and featuring Elsa Lanchester, not only as the bride, but also as Mary Shelley. Because they, in Bride of Frankenstein, they kind of did her thing of present it as a frame narrative. And no, that time I did not draw out a frame with my fingers. (laughs) Ah, damn it. (laughs) Also of note was uh, the uh, 1994 adaptation, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, directed by Kenneth Branagh and uh, starring Robert De Niro. Uh, Well, actually starring Kenneth Branagh as well. He He directed and starred in it. De Niro played the creature. But probably... And not necessarily my favorite, uh, because I would still say that would be the 1931 original and Bride of Frankenstein, probably Bride a little bit more. But uh, in 2004, uh, the Hallmark Channel did a two-episode miniseries, which was, to me, I thought the closest adaptation I have seen of the book in film. Um, And it was a very excellent adaptation. Yeah, for anybody who's watched any of the number of movies, remember that if you've read the book or you've seen ones that are closely related to the book, you know that the monster creature, you know, there are a bunch of names for the mm-hmm. monster in the book, but you'll, you'll know that he, he can actually speak. Yes. Fairly erudite instead of the typical Frankenstein, you know, no, it's, but which are fun movies. Yeah. Just, they're very different from the book. 
Yes. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I, that was kind of one of the things that lets me down in the original universal movie is that he does not speak, but he does speak. He, he does learn to speak in Bride of Frankenstein. And, and something that a lot of people, there's this image of him walking stiff-legged with his arms stretched out in front of him. Karloff never did that. Karloff did three movies. The first two, the two I've mentioned and Son of Frankenstein, which I've mentioned in another podcast. And I don't think it was in the third movie. I think it was actually in the fourth movie. Lugosi took over the role for at least one movie. They transferred Igor's brain into the creature, but the transfer didn't work completely and the creature was blind. But they cut out, the studio cut out all the exposition where they explained the creature was blind. So this image of Frankenstein stumbling around stiff-legged with his arms stretched out in front of him was because Lugosi was trying to play the the role as a blind character. And he's trying to feel his way around because he can't see. But because all that exposition was lost, nobody realized the character was supposed to be blind at that point. (laughs) Oh, that makes a lot of sense. I did not know that. Uh, And and speaking of him actually being able to, to speak. Do you know my favorite quote of Frankenstein? Uh, I do not. Bernard! <laughs> yeah, I guess I should have mentioned young Frankenstein. <laughs> yes, you should have. So also uh, out of this gathering, so you, you get what some people consider to be the first science fiction novel, what some people consider to be the first gothic horror novel. Also out of this, you get what is the first, uh, not with this book, but out of this, out of this gathering of people, you get what is, what, what is the first vampire story or vampire book in English that was written in English. It was written by Byron's doctor, Polidori. I think Byron actually came up with the idea, but Polidori was the one that actually wrote the book. There were a lot of people at first that thought that it was really that Byron wrote the whole thing. And even Byron came out later and said, no, Polidori wrote this. This is his book. But it was called The Vampire. The The vampire in the in the book was Lord Ruthven. I have read it. It's been a while since I've read it. So uh, it was, what I read was a very short story. Neat. Yeah. You've never read that, have you? I have not. You should. I and should. so should yeah. our listeners. <laughs> they, they should too. <laughs> yeah. And maybe me or one of them would have something to say when you're talking about it. But <laughs> I'm just sitting here drinking my beer because I'm oh, cool. Woo-hoo. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so that's um, that's really all I've got on the 200th anniversary of Frankenstein. <laughs> cool. I have one thing. Okay. And that is my favorite metal band, Halloween, does a yes. song called Dr. Steen, which yes. is a take on Frankenstein. And it's fantastic, and you should all listen to it. Uh, so Alice Cooper has the song Feed My Frankenstein. He does. Uh, which was off of his, yes, he does. It's off of his Hey Stupid album, and I think it's on the Wayne's World soundtrack. Alice Cooper did not write that song. And I, for a long time, I didn't, I didn't realize this. Feed My Frankenstein was originally written and recorded by British band Zodiac Mind Warp and the Love Reaction. And as soon as I read that, I, I instantly said, yes, yes, they did. Because I can hear it in Alice's recording. I just thought I'd throw that in there since we're talking about Alice Cooper, or since we're talking about Frankenstein and songs about Frankenstein. Yes, that sounds good. <laughs> No point in getting the Monster Mash. Everybody knows that one. Yeah. Yes. No, no point. Yeah, we should. Well, got to save something for next year, man. <laughs> oh, there's always Halloween shit to talk about. <laughs> always. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm good. 
yeah, yeah, me too. Um, so there it is. Uh, that's our uh, 200th anniversary Frankenstein episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Until next time, I'm Jody. And I'm James. Her. The Macabre Manor is brought to you by the Twin Terrors. All rights reserved. Stay tuned for some fun outtakes. Three, two, one. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> Damn, I almost got that snort in there. <laughs> Welcome back to the Macabre Manor. Uh, fuck. You know who we should ask? I, I was going to say a philologist, but... Oh, <laughs> fucking philologist. Excuse me. May I use the bathroom? Thank you. I'm going to get you, sucker. Frankenstein going... You know, so it's still old, yeah. grunty Frankenstein, but nonetheless. And then it goes... <laughs> Sorry.